that video speaks volumes to what we deal with every day in our churches. Divided we fall. My name's Colton. Uh, and Matt introduced me earlier. Uh, he's our lead pastor. I just want to thank you guys for being here, being a part of our family and being intentional about being here. It's cold outside. I would rather I'd stayed at home and cuddled up, but I like worshiping with you guys. So uh, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we'll be there in a little bit. Uh, chapter 1 will be started off right there. Uh, but today we're going to stu- study one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, 1 Corinthians, my favorite verse comes out of there. Verse, uh, you can do all things through Christ. Who, no, wrong verse. <laughs> Thinking wrong, sorry. Uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. One of my favorite verses. But we're going to start at the very first and see what leads up to that and why they talk, why Paul is writing this letter, letter to the Corinthians. Corinthians has a lot in it. It goes from one spectrum to the, to the other. It goes from fixing issues to praising how and showing how things should be look. But I want to look at first at Corinthians as a town, the Corinth. I want to look at where, like, what it would have looked like, what the, what was the makeup of the church, of the town. If you want to look at your first blank in your worship handout, you probably got one as you came in. Uh, If you open it up to the middle, there is some blanks. There's quite a bit of them today. I was uh, looking at this, and I really didn't realize I had as many blanks on there. So it's going to be fun. So it's important to understand the background of the books of the Bible. It's important to look at the context of what is going on around them so we can truly know what uh, the meaning of some of the scripture as we dive down in it. It's what's fun about these D groups that we're doing is that I get to study a book, but I also look at, we also get to really dive down what they're talking about during that and what they are trying to portray to us, and what we need to learn from it. But Corinth was a commercial center of Greece. It was the like a trading hub for the for the Middle Eastern world. There, the place was built on the isthmus. I think I'm saying that right, Isthmus. I've looked it up a couple times. But uh, it's a little stretch of land. It's only about 10 miles uh, wide that connects the, the like Greece to the, uh, little, the island to the, uh, the rest of Greece. And it connects two big bodies. It separates two big bodies of water. They even had a, like a, this, this place had a wooden rail system that they moved ships across the land to one, from one body of water to the other and just to it's was a safer way, safer way to get to the other side 
and so they didn't have to go down all the way around Greece and back up to Asia. So with uh, Corinth being such a hub for trade, it brought in a lot of different cultures, right? So if you have the uh, Asia, the Asia uh, coming this way, um, you have Corinth, uh, the Greeks coming down, you had Jews, you had everybody coming and being a part of one town. So it's hard to say, but how big Corinth was back then. They, there's a wide range of uh, possibilities. They believe it from around 100,000 people to 600,000 people. So it's a big, big span, but either way, large city. It was not, it wasn't a small, it was a, it was a booming place. So it goes on. Uh, so this wasn't a place, it wasn't small. Like any other large city today, there was a lot of cultures that came into play. You had the Greeks, you had the Romans, you had the Orientals, you had a large enough population of Jews to have to warrant a synagogue. It was booming. It had all kinds of places for trade, for merchants. You had had people coming in and leaving all the time. This in modern day, we would be looking at this place to plant as many churches as we could in this place because you could reach the rest of the world from here. So Corinth was also the home of the Isthmus Games. So if you haven't heard, it's back then it was like Olympics every other, like on the opposite uh, end. So it was every other year, it was, a, and it was only second to the Olympian Games. They got to, they played this in, they brought in like athletes from all over the world would come to Corinth just to play in these games, just kind of like we do with the Olympics now. I say this all to point out how influential the city would have been and how much, how many people you could reach. Now I want to look at also the atmosphere of Corinth because I found some really cool things when looking at it that I would have never uh, pieced together without actually diving down and looking at the history and what was around Corinth. But Corinth was a very sinful place. So like Vegas times 10. Just outside of Corinth, there was a rock called the Acro Corinth. And it was like, it shot up like 1,800 feet. And on top of this was a temple. It was the temple built by, for the uh, Roman god uh, Aphrodite. So the goddess of love explains why you have some that Paul addresses the love in first Corinthians chapter 13 you have the love chapter love is patient love is kind love is does not envy you've heard of this right we say this at weddings all the time but God but Paul was trying to make a point of love is not what it is to you 
they would have a very perverse way of looking at love because the temple of Aphrodite for love, beauty, and pleasure, there would have been, t- uh, in the temple, in that temple would have been women that would sell their bodies for pleasure and a lustful culture that flowed from the city of Corinth. When I started studying this, I had no idea the temple of Aphrodite was just outside Corinth. This is why it's so important to look at the background of the book and what is reason for writing the book. But we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 1. You want to look on the screen? Because this is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and from our brother Sosthenes. Uh, so Paul wants to be clear to the people that of Corinth that he is acting in the p- power of Jesus Christ. He's not just speaking from his own terms. He's not trying to speak saying, I'm saying this. He's saying, hey, I'm writing you, to you because I'm an apostle of Jesus and I need to tell you some things. In the book of Corinthians, Paul mentions himself as an apostle ten different times. He, may, he wants to make it very clear through the whole book that he is not talking about just from his own thoughts. He is shaping his, he was speaking directly out of what Jesus Christ would want him to say. So apostle is defined as one sent on a mission. So like I said, Paul wants to make sure that we know, that the people of Corinth know that he is not acting out of his own accord. But it goes on in verse 2. I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you by holy by means of Jesus Christ, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and ours. So Paul wants to be clear that who he's writing his letter to. He's writing to the people that are called. What is that, right? So uh, in the ESV version, the, just a little bit, they do use a little bit different wording for the word called as sanctified. If you don't know what sanctified means, sanctified means made holy, made pure. God has, the ones that God has made pure through Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the people that are already Christ followers. And he wants them to understand that, hey, I have some very important things. I don't want you twisting my words. I don't want you reading me, taking this out of context, I want to, and shaping it towards somebody that's not a follower of Christ. He wants, I need to correct your actions first. And then we can reach out to the other people. So the culture around them was 
very sinful. This leads me to your next blank in your worship handout. It says, we are called to be set apart. Paul is talking to the called, and he wants them to understand that they are supposed to be set apart from the rest of the world, the rest of their culture. They should be a little bit different. He wants to make sure that they don't twist it and make it where that they want to point out somebody else's problems before they fix their own. So being called to be set apart does not mean that we do not relate to our our community, our culture. But instead, there should be a noticeable difference between us. Our attitude should be different, how we handle bad situations. Uh, our language needs to be different. We can't be acting the same way. Here in, at Connection, we like to say that we'll do every, anything and everything short of sinning to reach our community. But we should still be set apart, right? We should still have a little bit different. We should, under people around us should see that we are different. But we want to reach people. Paul is writing them because they are starting to look too much like their surrounding culture. As a church, we must be married to our beliefs, but we have to date our methods, right? So what does that mean? We're not going to sacrifice our main core belief that Jesus Christ came, died, rose again to save us from our sins, and that he's the only way to have a relationship with God our Father. But how we get people to understand that and how we reach people will always be changing. Matt likes to say and tell the band that if we, uh, if Mount Vernon all of a sudden switches to liking polka music, I really hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. But if if Mount Vernon starts, music of choice is polka, we'll be playing polka up here. <laughs> I'm telling you, I really hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but We have to date our methods, and we have to reach people, but we have to be different. Let's go on in verse 3. It says, may God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Grace and peace should be direct attributes of followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul understands this. Grace is the unexpected and undeserved generosity of God. Peace is the response to God's grace. So grace speaks of God's actions in behalf of us, of men. And peace tells a man's condition after God has acted for him and he has responded. 
So this is a huge deal to me. This is something that I, I was reading one of my commentaries I have, and um, Mike Davis had our still teaching me today, uh, and he's been gone for a long time, but he had this underlined in this, and it says, grace is unexpected and undeserved generosity of God. We don't deserve God's grace. We are sinful people. We do not deserve to have a relationship with him. And peace should be our response to that. We should have peace. We should want to be in harmony with people. We shouldn't want to have problems. We, don't, we shouldn't have to want to cause issues. Grace speaks of God's action in behalf of us. And peace tells of our condition, of our heart, after God has acted. In my life, I've never had God speak to me audibly, but that was pretty close. He tends to change my perspective of things when when I'm truly studying and searching for him. Grace and peace are gifts from God the Father. And we should completely operate in them at all times. We should be forgiving. We should want to have a relationship. We should be peaceful with people. We shouldn't worry. goes on in verse 4. I always thank my God for you and the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Jesus Christ. Paul shows here that he's being thankful. Paul thanking them is showing that this is probably written by him and truly thankful for the life that these people are doing. They, they're acting and they're growing and they, they're reaching the people of their community. And he's so thankful that God has given them this great knowledge and ability as they go as they go on. In verse five it says, Through him God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I've been told what I told you about Christ is true. Many, many of the members of Corinth church were very poor. Trading town, people are in and out. They have a lot of money flowing through. Not, not very many people have very many. But Paul wanted to remind them that they are not spiritually poor. They are spiritually rich and they have the ability to, they have the knowledge and the words to speak. And they know it, how to speak it at the right time. As you go through the the book, you can Paul points out different areas that they're very good at. It says in verse seven, now that you have every spiritual gift you need, 
as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So wouldn't this be awesome? They have access to every spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. We see this as we read on that the, the problems do not lie in the lack of the gifts and the lack of the ability to, of things that J- Jesus Christ has given them. But instead of immaturity and the lack of knowledge of how to use them properly. So what if I told you that we are just like the Corinthians? We have access to every spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives. Let's look at your next blank in your worship handout. It says, we have access to all the spiritual gifts, but we lack the knowledge to use them. We have them. We have all the fruits of the Spirit. We have that. We just got to pick it, right? We just got to reach up and grab it. We've got to practice. We should look at it as a promise from God that he loves us enough to give us access to all of them. And all we have to do is practice them. And it will get easier and we can, be, we can use them. We can, use, we can pick the fruit of patience in times that there's times that I don't pick that fruit of patience, but I have access to it, right? I can pick, I can pick it and go and use it. But in my life, in my work, I choose not to. In my opinion, there were a few people that were actively using all the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts that God has given them in the church of Corinth. But instead, there is a body of the body, the whole church was using different pieces, different portions of the spirit. And that together, as a body of Christ, they were acting in all the spirits, all the gifts. I imagine the church relying on each other to learn more about God because they didn't have, they didn't have the Bible like we have. You know, like They were going off of word of mouth of what Christ did and... They didn't get to read all of this like, like they have because they didn't have that at this point. It wasn't put together. But they relied on each other. Like we, like I rely on my small group and my, and my uh, that we have every week or every, the first three weeks of the month that we truly learn with each other and we can grow by studying scripture. Verse 8 says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God's faithfulness is the way he demonstrates his love for us. And he it's 
how he demonstrates his love for all that are called. So invited, anybody that's taken that, that relationship with Christ to the next level of asking him to come and be a part of your life and into the partnership or his fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Christ creates the fellowship and he shares it with the Corinthians or us. Like in the same, like I said, we are the same in some of these matters that we deal with, that they're dealing with now. And it's our job to bring it to others. Paul uses the first nine verses that we just read to build the Corinthians up saying, Hey, you're doing a great job. Uh, you, uh, you've really growing in Christ and you're bringing in people and you guys are acting in all the knowledge and speaking elegant words. And he uses all this just to build them up to the point to start pointing out some problems they have. Right? They want to. He wanted to make it a little bit easier for them to to hear, so they don't just tune them out. Right? Like we do when Matt's up here and saying, "Hey," and pointing out problems that, and God speaks to us and say, "Hey, we have this problem going in our life." Or I use some of the, some of the same tactic, I guess, if you want to call it that, to at my job to really go and say, "Hey, you're doing a great job," but. Here's where you need to improve. And this is what Paul's doing. He built them up a little bit just to really show them, hey, you're doing a great job, but this is where we can do better. So let's look in verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he's stopping here. He's pointing out. He says, hey, I've got this problem. I'm going to point out to you. And it's not just me talking. This is through all the authority of Jesus Christ. Right? I'm speaking through what Jesus has to say for you and what you guys are doing. To live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather be one mind united in thought and purpose. Paul understands that this is not going to be easy for them to hear. And they're not going to want to listen to him. I don't like being told when I'm doing something wrong. Because it's my way or the highway, right? So, I'm assuming that, or I'm, in my opinion, they're probably just like me, and they don't want to hear that they're doing anything wrong, in a tr that they are truly just focused on Christ, but they're not letting their opinions get in the way. But Paul quickly addresses, I mean, we're first 10 verses into the into this book, and Paul is already addressing the division in the church. And he tells them that there's no, there's no place for that in the body of Christ. 
You can't have, an arm can't do it by itself. A leg can't do it by itself. What's that next blank in your uh, worship handout? There's no place for division in the church. Division is the quickest way to destroy a church. Destroy the church, not this church, not a building, but the church. Like everybody that's a follower of Christ, the capital C church. And a lot of time it's not the wrongdoing of someone, but instead someone's opinion of how things are supposed to be done. Right? That's why we have so many different denominations throughout church because we all believe that we're doing something that we're right and somebody else is wrong. It's how they all start they started. And Paul's going to address some of that as we go through. So, so there's some theologians, some people that are smarter than me that believe the way Paul writes to all all the people of the church at once, that this church was not yet split. There was different fraction. There's different cliques going on, but they haven't they haven't split up. They haven't divided enough th- to the point that they're not meeting all together. And he wants it to stop. He wants the quarreling to stop. It goes on in verse eleven. Uh, for some members of Chloe's household have told me that about your quarrels, my dear brother and sister. So he he just called out whoever was the snitch of the of the group that hey, this person told me that you were fighting. So that's going to be a problem. That like if he doesn't start addressing some of it right now, that's going to be a problem as it is because hey. Chloe's ratting us out to Paul, even though she's probably doing something wrong too, right? It's not going to be an easy thing for them to hear. It goes on, verse 12, some of you are saying I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying I'm a follower of Paulus, Apollo, or I'm a follower of Peter, or I'm a follower, or I only follow Christ. So this church... If you look into it, it was probably split up into, like you said, four different factions or cliques, as what we would call them today. They four different little friend groups that they have going on. One of them saying, "Hey, I'm a follower of Paul." The other one saying, "I'm a follower of Peter." The other one saying, "I only follow Christ." And this is how new churches get started, right? They want to sp- split off instead of meeting together because they all believe that they're right. And Paul is not having it. It's really funny that we, 2,000 years later, we still haven't learned from our from the problems, that we still have this in churches today in different areas that we, that we all still believe that we are right. So we need to be unified in Christ. And Paul's getting ready to address 
how he should be. Goes on, 13. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I, th- I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Cyprus and... I can't pronounce his name. So uh, it goes... On, but Paul is right on it. It was... And I thank God that... Because I don't want... I only baptize these two people. And then one other household. As he goes on, he says, Yes, I, I also baptized in the house household of Stephanosus. Oh, I can't talk today. But I don't remember baptizing anyone. He doesn't want, he's, going, he's pointing out, hey, this is not me. I didn't die for you. I didn't rise from the grave. In fact, if you look at the life of Paul, he shouldn't be where he is. He, he persecuted Christians until God said, that's enough. And blinded him for a while until he realized his sin and what he needed to do. So he wants to, he's telling these guys, hey, there's only one way to go. There's only one way to follow. There was a couple weeks ago, first week of January, we had Connect Group. And this, and the lesson was not, was basically this. We need to be one body doing different jobs. Each have different jobs. What's your job? What is your responsibility as a follower of Christ? What are you doing to help your church, to help the church, the capital C church? Is it popping popcorn? Is it cleaning bathrooms? Teaching kids? Could be any of this. We can't, one person can't do it all. And we need to be as unified of a body as we can. And this is what Paul is trying to convey to them, that Peter, Apollos, and himself were all trying to do the same thing, point people to Christ, but they are all doing it in a different way. They were dating their methods. They were, they were changing how they were reaching people depending on what community they were in. But they are all trying to do the same thing and point people to Jesus Christ. Because it was not Paul, it was not Apollos, it was not Peter that hung on the cross. But Jesus Christ that died for us. Verse 17. For Christ did not didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech for the fear of the cross of Christ would lose its power. All Paul wanted to do was spread the word of Christ. 
He didn't want a following of his own. He didn't want people saying, I follow Paul, because Paul understood that Christ is the only way. He didn't want to do it by his speech. He wrote a lot, but he he wasn't trying to be clever. He wanted people to realize where they were wrong and what they needed to do to fix it. He didn't want his speeches, his, his words to take away from what Christ had for them. Because everything points to him. So it leads me to your last blink in your worship handout. Because don't let our words get in the way of the power of Jesus Christ. Too often, I get on my soapbox of saying I am right and everybody else is wrong. And I let my thoughts, my words, get in the way of what Christ did. I see someone trying to reach people different ways than what I would ever thought to do. And I say, that's weird. But that's the power that Jesus has. So in my D group, we had a a member of our group challenge us. Pray scary prayers. Pray, prayer, pray God-sized prayers. Stuff that... It can't be anything, anybody else but God. I want to share my prayer with me because it's with you is that I want God to use me and change me and don't let myself get in the way. It's not easy. It's scary. Before we pray, uh, does somebody have the bags? Anybody want to uh, give one of these bags away? Anybody have? Yeah, it looks like we got two bags. $167.01. Um, that's a lot of pennies and dimes and nickels. Jason? I'm going to give one of these away. Anybody else? All right, Brent. Thank you. I'm going to pray for us as we go. I want to pray over these bags and that we truly follow what God wants from us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray a thankful heart. I am so thankful that you are here with us and that you want us because we don't deserve you. 
Lord, I pray that we choose to pick the gifts that you give us. Pray that we seek out your your heart. Lord, I pray a blessing over these bags that they that they reach our community and reach the people that they need to reach. Lord, just use us as we go through this life that we just run straight for you and we have no fear and we grow in you. Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. In your name, amen.